0: Welcome to the Raptor Show on the SportsNet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe and please rate and review the show. A reminder is streaming live on SportsNet's YouTube channel and airing live on SportsNet360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined potentially for the last time this season by Blake Murphy on a Tuesday. Producer
1: Blake Murphy. Hey. What's going on, buddy? We're gonna miss you, man. I just gotta say, this is it's on the Raptors. If they get out of the play-in, I mean, who knows? If they have a right. play if they have right. their playing game on uh Tuesday the eleventh, maybe maybe I am back. I don't know. Mm, um got you. yeah, a little bit of up in the air. I'm off next week. I'm gone away for a wedding. Um and then yeah, then we're into Leafs playoffs, Toronto Blue Jays and Raptors play-in. Yeah and I don't know. I don't know what my Tuesday availability is going to be on, uh, on the fourth and the 11th. So, uh, it's up to the Raptors. If they fall out of the playoffs entirely, um, this might be it. If they, they make the plan and make a little run, maybe we get one or two more. I don't know. Look what you have done to Blake. No, um, no, listen,
0: you're, you're a five tool player. And, um, you know, unfortunately the Raptors are, um, even though they're playing better of late, I think there are more positives to, to recover, um, as the season goes on. Um, yeah, obviously they're just not in the position that we kind of expect them to be. Um, yeah, just coming from practice, by the way. Just wanted to pass along a quick note. Um, Scotty Barnes did not practice today, uh, and he is considered day to day. He's going to get another uh, examination later today, according to Nick. Um, I'm assuming this will be before the Raptor City social, which is taking place tonight. Um, if you if you have like you know a spare grand sitting around and you want to come through, um, are you going? No man, you know what they do with the media on this one. And which, like, listen, it's cool. Like, it's actually like a good interactive environment. But we're not actually able to stay for the main gala portion. Mm. There's the red carpet kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So you can be like, what are you wearing? And Delano's like Hudson's Bay Company, and Fred's like every company that gave me a dime. And, I would that, to and see that's a pull up wait, in some Uggs actually. Wait, Uggs and Canada special? Goose and uh I don't know, like a, a Visa or MasterCard, whichever credit card he's with, <laughs> as a t-shirt underneath, it'd be great. And yeah. then of course FVV designer pants or got something you. like that. He's got his own brand I, mixed I in. Feel there like
0: too. These guys are like pushing their their clothing less these days.
1: I was at the bay on the weekend and there's like Delano stuff everywhere. It's really? really funny.
0: Wow. People still go to the bay, huh? They shut the one down here at Young and Blurred. That one's iconic. Yeah, I live now close to like a coffee shop or something. I live
1: close to Eden Center though. Got you, got you. So it's not you right. need uh, you need a pair of dress shoes in uh, in a pinch. Mm. At a foster uh, pop, chew up a pair of my dress shoes and I wanted to and and replace that them before going. I forgot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah well, uh, I don't know if those the new shoes will be. I don't know if they'll get the nod. We'll see if they. Oh, okay. All we right. got options, but yeah, I, I wanted to replace the since one shoe became a, a dog toy
0: well you know it doesn't happen with cats that's why cats I have is, one
1: of those as well that's why cats are superior
0: um yeah well you know so that those are the takeaways from practice not that much else to be honest so uh, Scotty did have an mri and it was clean um but you know nick did describe it as being sore and so we'll see um, my guess is probably he doesn't play tomorrow um when the raptors take on the indiana pacers and they're seven or eight guards and and, and sometimes when i see teams like that i do get jealous cuz The Raptors' uh, third guard continues to be an issue. We'll talk about that in a little (laughs) bit. But I actually wanted to start here because this is a trend that um, I wanted to talk to you. I think maybe last time you were on, we kind of ran out of time for this. That was sort of my bad in terms of the planning. Um, Just sort of covering the Raptors in the fourth quarter and sort of why the Raptors struggle. And um, for some context, the Raptors are actually plus two on the season in terms of fourth quarter scoring margins. Um, So that's actually obviously just like as close to average as you can really get, basically, <laughs> unless you're, like, minus one or plus one or zero. Um, and, and if you break that out even further, the Raptors actually plus 37 uh, through the first three months of the season from uh, August, November, December. Since then, uh, they are minus 35, and they have had multiple double-digit losses in the fourth quarter uh, in terms of the scoring margins
1: there. Blake, your, your reaction, uh, first off? Well, what? you just mixed up your, your – you said August – I don't think they played many games in August. August. Right, sorry, sorry. October, you're October, right. of course. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're it's still okay. on that pandemic schedule. Yeah, you know,
0: it, it's it's okay. I mean, what what is? There are only two types of days: uh, game days and off days. So yeah.
1: yeah, it's uh yeah. Any August game I just all I'll know about any August game you bring up is that Pascal didn't have good numbers. <laughs> That's oh, I know the
0: Raptors <laughs> August uh, numbers were were excellent this year around because. Uh, That was when they were winning the uh, Rico Hines championship, I believe.
1: Um, Okay, so what's the date cutoff you use? Because I did pull some numbers on on their performance uh, late in close-ish games, not using the NBA definition, using a different definition, but uh, I can pop in a date filter here if you give me where you want to look at from. I just divided it between essentially 2022
0: and 2023. So since January 1, um, they're minus 35 in some of those fourth quarters. And and when you look at some of those losses, right, when the Raptors lost to Indiana, who – the Raptors to play uh, tomorrow here at Scotiabank Arena as uh, Canada Basketball Week continues with <laughs> a, yet another prominent Canadian player coming through. Actually, two. Um, Shots to O'Shea he's, as well.
1: Yeah, there's more than that. Who else? Nembark, Maturin. Oh, yeah, Maturin. Wow, this isn't, you know what? There's a lot of Canadians on that team. You're right. And then Chris Dorte, the like Canada basketball fans like to try to claim him as Canadian, even though he's from the Dominican.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah. Since the last time the Raptors played Indiana, they lost uh, that fourth quarter, thirty-one to twenty-four. They lost Oof. the game against Minnesota in the fourth quarter, twenty-seven to seventeen. The the night after, lost to Boston, twenty-five to nineteen in the fourth quarter. They lost to Phoenix, thirty-two to twenty-two in the fourth quarter. When they lost to Phoenix um, earlier this season in Phoenix, um, they lost to Utah twice this season. But the f- second time they lost to Utah, they lost thirty-nine to twenty in the fourth quarter. That was Jakob's second game in, in Toronto. Uh, when they played Denver, obviously that was the game that was characterized by the officials. However, they did lose the fourth quarter, thirty-five to twenty-five, which is bad. They lost thirty-seven to twenty-two in the fourth quarter against the Lakers, which obviously that game really got away from them in the fourth quarter. And then last game, the Raptors just played twenty-nine to sixteen, lost to the Milwaukee Bucks in the fourth quarter. So it does feel obviously there are these are just sort of the performances that have really stood out in terms of some of their lopsided losses where they were in the game through three quarters, taking a lead through three quarters, but ultimately they lose in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, Blake, I, I want to get your general sense of sort of how the Raptors have been closing games and is sort of this uh, a, a bigger problem or is this more of just like a, well,
1: I mean, if you go through any team's losses,
0: you might see some of these.
1: You will, but also when you look at the stats for that entire window of time, like not every team is 28th, 29th, 30th in different offensive metrics in those situations, right? There's there's a very clear how to the Raptors doing that. And it's that the offense kind of collapses late in those spots. And it's something where, you know, you just laid that all out as fourth quarter. Um, well, I, I chunked the numbers off. So since since the start of the year, um the start of the calendar year rather. If you look at just the first half of fourth quarters, because my my first thought was, well, the bench has been really bad for the most part. Maybe the bench in those four, five, six minutes at the start of the quarters where that's a transitional unit and, and a lot of those groups haven't really clicked, maybe that's something. They've actually outscored opponents by 18 in the first six minutes of huh, of fourth quarter. So this is a this is an issue that is almost exclusive to um sorry and that's filtered for only when the games are re- like I, I took out the like you're already down by right, right. huge numbers or up by huge numbers. Uh so then you get down into the last 6 minutes of games that are within two possessions. So I know NBA uses 5 and 5. I'm using two possessions and 6 minutes cuz 6 minutes is usually about when Nick Nurse will put in his closing lineup. It's about as latest that he'll go usually. Minus 56 and 94 minutes. Man Okay. All right. So almost you're like that right. is more than a point every two minutes that you're losing in the fourth quarter. So there's a very first of all, when you're when you're trying to find out if something is noise, the first thing is, well, just how extreme is it? Because if it's a super extreme, we'd obviously expect it to regress a little bit, but the further extreme you're regressing from, the like it's not gonna go as far. That that extreme the more extreme the outlier, uh, the more notable it is. And yep. then there's the the how or the why. And with the Raptors, that's very clearly the offense. They can't score Mm. at all, um, late in these games. So in terms of, you know, big picture concern or or something like that, this is, it's not all that surprising because you and I have talked about, I mean, for three years now, it feels like, and the Tampa tank went the way it went. And last year they overperformed overall, but they weren't a particularly effective late game scoring team last year. And what under the undercurrent with all thats that is that, This team, when the game grinds down to a half-court offense and the other team is paying marginal attention defensively, this team really struggles to score. That's not surprising. We came into this year and we said, what is the formula for this team to be pretty good? Be a top-10 defense, be the number-one transition offense, and do just enough in the half-court on offense to get by. And it's actually like that we ended up back here is, you know, it's not good, but there was a big chunk of the season where this team was kind of out outperforming expectations offensively. And it was the defense that was poor. And now they've kind of gotten back to what we expected where they can't really score on the half court when things grind down. Um, it's that's pretty extreme though. The, the numbers that I just laid out there to be minus 56 um, and to be scoring barely a point of possession. Right. So every team, like the Sacramento Kings are about to set the all time record for offensive rating. Mm-hmm. But when we adjust for league factors, the fact that scoring is just way up around the league, they're like barely around the top 100 all time. That's okay, how extreme right. scoring is around the league. The Raptors, when it comes to crunch time in a close game, can barely get a point per possession. It, it feels that way sometimes. Um, it, it definitely felt that way when they
0: were trying to close out the game in the fourth quarter against Milwaukee. I mean, whatever. Milwaukee made some adjustments. They turn up their intensity on defense. Obviously, a great team like that, they mm-hmm. have another level to get to. Um, but it does feel like when the Raptors need to at that – that next level, it, it's consistently sort of lacking. So I guess my question is: now that we've established what the problem is, um, is it more of a results-based issue in terms of should they play a different way? Is it a personnel issue, as in they just don't have that type of like closer to go to, um, or is it a bit of noise? Like, what what do you sort of factor into that? Is it guys playing too many minutes? Like, you know, it. it I would really like to break this down because to me right now. If the Raptors are going to I mean, whatever, this year they're they're gonna go into the play in tournament. If they win the the play in and get into the playoffs, they will get into a playoff series. That's one of my biggest worries right now. It's just like can the Raptors, when games get really close, execute down the stretch consistently? and my concern right now is it's probably not going to based on the regular season results that we're just outlining here so what is specifically the issue
1: yeah and before I, we get to that like just to your point if this is going to come down to a playing game two of the three games they played against atlanta came down to the wire all yep. three against the the bulls came down to the wire um all three against miami so far have come down to the wire like you are playing these teams and one of the washington games went it overtime so like these mm-hmm. teams that you're up against you're a whole big bag of average that everyone's just shuffling up and we'll pull the winner out of a hat. Like there's no difference between these teams. There's stylistic differences, but there's no difference in quality. Mm-hmm. So you better be able to pull out these close games. You don't think Miami's going to try to gum it up and be like, oh. huh, a point per possession. Hey, eh? we bet we can get that down to 0.8 of points per possession uh, in the clutch and just have a, have a big old rock fight. So you're right. It, it's the most important thing facing this team right now. If they have designs on getting out of the playing tournament. Now, in terms of what is going on there, it's a bit hard to diagnose because some of it is like, yeah, guys miss their threes, right? That that happens. Um, you can't really get, and we're also talking about a 94-minute sample here, right? Yeah, so of any course. of these samples are going to be noisy. But um, for context, let's look at the positives first. They create corner threes in those minutes. Everyone knows the hammer play that they're yeah. always looking for. They're 9 of 18 yeah. on corner threes in in those minutes. Okay, all right, all right. That's pretty good. Yeah. You're creating – and and the 18 corner threes over over just shy of 100 minutes is a good rate of corner threes. Okay. And you're hitting them. So that's that's great. Um, They are shooting 26% on above the break threes, though. So anything self-created at the top of the floor, any of those transition looks on, on the wing that they try to get for OG and Gary, not there. Mm-hmm. Some of that might be that Gary's not always on the floor in those minutes where he used to be. Sure. Uh, right. Some of those have gone to Jakob Bertl now. Um because he he's getting some of the closing minutes. So you have a little less wing shooting. Okay. I could get there. The biggest problem to me that I see though, they are taking fewer than a quarter of their shots at the rim in those minutes. They just can't get into the paint. And whether that's getting into the paint now, we don't have data as, as granular as like, Oh, how often do they get in the paint and then kick it out and then swing it out? Like we don't have, we could go through the tape. Um, but I didn't have enough time today. Um, but just not getting to the rim is a pretty good proxy for that. Um, on the season, they're actually 18th in the league at how often they get to the rim on offense. They drop to 30th in these minutes. Okay. They yeah. cannot get to the rim. And whether that's – like, I don't think anyone's expecting this team to have guys break guys down one-on-one, Anthony Edwards, John Morant style, and just dunk on people. Right. OG's the only guy on this team that dunks. Um, and uh, and it's, yeah. it's mostly transitions and, and putbacks and stuff and um, – but you if you're not getting to the rim, that to me tells me that a defense is comfortable you the The decisions you're forcing on a defense are not ones that they need to sell out to stop they're either they're sending a third man to to help on those pick and rolls and you're not punishing it at high enough volume um because you know once the the kickout goes to the corner and it swings around, your guys aren't hitting the shots so or the defense recovers or whatever um However you want to diagnose it I, I think that the biggest thing that that's there in the numbers is that they just can't get into the paint. And mm-hmm. we've known that one-on-one event creation was a weakness of this team. I would hope that as their comfort level grows using that Fred Yaka pick and roll that's been so effective a little bit more in crunch time, maybe that comes up. Yakov's also only played 23 of these kind of crunch time minutes. They sure. they closed yeah. without him a fair amount. Um but someone's got to be able to put a little more pressure on the rim. And we know that Scotty's really good in these in the fourth quarter and he kind of turns it up. He also does that a lot of the time when plays are chaotic and breaking down. Like they're they're not scripting everyone stand around and watch Scotty. One, because your spacing would be awful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but two, because like that's that's just not the way they use him right now. So um we can get into some of the individual stuff, some of the play design stuff. The biggest thing though is that they they just can't can't get to the rim at all in these situations. Well, if, if, if that's the case, who is the, the best player on the Raptors who can get to the
0: rim, right? Because maybe we just redistribute the offense or we highlight a
1: different type of player in that stretch where they can consistently touch the paint. Well, I would say, you know, generally on the season, the person who's done the best job of that has been Pascal Siakam. Um, his paint numbers have fallen off a cliff since Jakob Pertel got here and, and they've played together. Obviously, you still are comfortable with with what that chemistry is going to look like long term. Um, But Pascal's attempts at the rim and at the free throw line have gone down dramatically in the minutes that he shares the floor with the because there's a natural center in the mix now. And you've got to adjust. He's got to adjust his game Mm -hmm. uh, to before there was nobody around there he is not getting to the rim at all in the in the clutch either. Like, he's even worse than the team average mm. in those minutes. Okay. So so that's that a big sense. thing. Like, it feels like everyone, if I
0: were an opposing team, and I know that crunch time, it's going to come down to Pascal, I would also load up the paint.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And the high paint areas, right? Don't even let him yeah, get yeah, into yeah. his his floater range stuff, his push shot range stuff. So other than Jakob Pertle, nobody on this team is taking any sort of big percentage of their of their field goal attempts at the rim. Now, OG gets a, a lot of attempts at the rim relative to his position, but that's as a play finisher, right? Sure. Like that's yeah. not OG um so the next after after OG and and after Jakob Pertl who's a center, so is of course going to have more. Scotty's next. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. takes 38% of his his field goal attempts at the rim, and some of that is the the chaos, you know, offensive rebounds, cutting, stuff like that. But some of it's also he's the strongest guy on the team like physically and has a real nose for in those moments, putting his head down and getting there. So mm-hmm. I don't, your spacing's weird. If the ball, if everything's running through Scotty Barnes, but he's been the most effective guy in crunch time. And he's been the most effective guy getting to the rim. Um When we take out the fact that, you know, Pascal really hasn't been doing a great job of that of late. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that makes sense to me too. I
0: mean, just in terms of the overall numbers, Um, I think, uh, yeah, it, why is the spacing weird if we if we ran it through you know Scotty instead? Just curious.
1: Yeah. So one of it is, I mean, you're gonna have OG in a corner, right? Yep. And if Jakob Pertle's not closing, you have Gary in the other corner, okay. and then your your spacing's okay, right? Yeah, because sure. then you have yep. you have Fred either you know screening for Scotty or operating on the ball handler side of pick and rolls there, and then Fred's really good with the relocation stuff, so yep. so he yep. can provide some gravity even on the nights he's not shooting that well, and he's shooting the lights out lately. Yep. So that helps. If you close with Pirtle instead of Gary Trent, um, what happens then is, first of all, if you're going to have Pertle on the court offensively, you need to use him. And the way to use yeah, him is sure. set screens with them to create space for someone else and have him roll to the rim, whether it's to get the bucket himself or to be in good position for offensive rebounds. We've seen that that can work pretty well. But then you're talking about, you've taken a, a good corner shooter that teams have to worry about and replace him with a center who's only going to play in this small area mm. uh from the elbows on down in, inside the paint. So that tightens things up a little bit more. Now we haven't seen a lot of Scotty Jakob pick and roll. Maybe maybe that's something they need to explore a little bit more because then you have, you know, you still have your two best spacers off the ball in Fred and OG whether you want Fred, you know, I don't. I don't think you'd want him just standing in the corner, but he can he can do that, or he can fly around off ball and come open. And Pascal is not a spacer in that he knocks down a lot of threes and he handles enough that they don't put him in the corner a lot. Um, his numbers are better from in the corners if you want to do that. Sure, yeah. But the way that Pascal provides spacing is if the ball gets kicked out to him up at the top, you've got to have a mad scramble to stop him because he's the team's best scorer, right? Mm. Um, but when Pascal is not scoring as well and he's having trouble getting into the paint and if Jakob Pertle is not involved in the screening action you see quickly how that's three guys then who are trying to operate in within like 15 feet of the rim that's so fair. even if you have two elite spacers and keep in mind too that corner spacing while that's really important and guys shoot way better there you know we've kind of hit the limit of how much you can horizontally space a basketball floor right like mm-hmm. the next the next horizon for creating space offensively is is vertically. And the Raptors don't have a lot of guys who shoot well above the break. So that's where a defense, even if they're not, even if they look spaced out, they're spaced out probably below the free throw line. Mm -hmm. And you put five defenders below the free throw line, even if they're stretched out this way, that's a a lot of bodies in the way to to help keep you from getting the paint. No, that's fair. And I think that,
0: you know, it it does kind of confirm a lot of what's been going on in in crunch time. Um, I, I think another way to maybe approach this is just like, Relative to other teams in the league, do the Raptors play differently in terms of their approach and crunch time? Because um, I think sometimes if you're really just locked in on the Raptors, you're like, okay, like we we know exactly what the crunch time plays are going to be, right? It's going to be, you know, Fred setting the ball screen, creating a, a switch for Pascal to attack a smaller guy. And he takes him into the post, kind of like tries to wedge his way in there. If the double team comes over, he kicks it out all that kind of like, that feels very familiar. Or when you're talking about, okay, they're going to try to the, do the, the hammer play, There's that that is also a fairly common um, thing that I think most fans can sort of instantly recall just thinking about how many corner threes Raptors usually like to take in crunch time. Is that different from other teams? Like, is, is this sort of like a process-specific thing to Toronto, or is that just sort of Generally speaking, that's how people play in, in, in crunch time. Mismatch basketball, slow it down, half
1: court. It is how teams play uh, a little more often, and I know no one likes to hear that. And you can go back to the old Demar Kyle days, where a big criticism of that team was in the crunch. In the crunch time, they were pretty ISO heavy, yeah. And those yeah, yeah. Te- those teams skewed a little, like it, they were never as ISO heavy as you know people maybe made it seem because it was a lot of. And we can get in. We can get pedantic about what. Constitutes an iso. Like if Demar runs a quick pick and roll to get a switch and then and then attacks that guy, yeah. like is that an iso or is that a pick and roll? How do you want to? That's not really the point. The point is that that version of this team, first of all, had a good isolation score in Demar Derozan and was very risk averse. They mm-hmm. didn't want to turn the ball over, and that's why they went iso heavy. The way the reason the Raptors go iso heavy, part of it is they're risk averse and they don't want to turn the ball over because they're all about winning the possession battle. But part of it is also that they don't have, like, as a function of the offense, the offense itself doesn't create those little advantages that then turn into a bigger advantage. Like, imagine, think about the peak Warriors, Steph, Dre, high pick and roll, right? Obviously, that's hell to defend. And what's if you're a defense, you can send a third guy to that, but they run it high enough that you've got a lot, again, vertical space. You've got a lot of space to operate in. Um, So what a lot of teams did would try to get the ball out of Steph's hands and get it to Draymond. And you'll take the ball in Draymond's hand over... Steph being able to pull up, and you hope your defense can recover. Well, then you've got Draymond handling in a four-on-three situation. Mm-hmm. You've got corner shooters around, and the guy who just gave up the ball is the best relocation shooter in the history of the NBA. Yeah. So that little advantage that a Steph Draymond – pick and roll creates can cascade into bigger and bigger advantages. If you kick it out the clay here, because someone has to come over to help Andre Draymond or you kick it out here and it swings there. And then, Oh, suddenly Steph has come off three off ball screens is wide open. The Raptors don't have that kind of cascading, turn a small advantage into a larger advantage into a larger advantage. Their two best spot up options in OG and Gary Trent are not the type of guys who like OG can attack a closeout, but he's not attacking a closeout. And then when the defense gets sucked in kicking it out to the next guy. Yeah, and yeah. Gary Trent if he's going to manipulate a closeout, it's for that side step 3, right? It's not to it's rarely to drive and it's even rarer that it's to pass. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The Raptors can create a small advantage but they can't turn those into bigger advantages. Um so they turn to isolation because again, there's no there's less risk with that and if you're saying you're already saying we can't create advantages, we'll go with the safer option then. The other thing is that I just don't think they Trust their guys right now to like, like, how many times can I say, like, they don't have a sense, I don't think, of what the next best alternative is anyway. Like, this isn't working. Mm hmm. The Fred Pertle pick and roll we know works in the first quarter of games yeah. like crazy. I mean, there's a concern that you foul Yak yeah, if you involve him enough of those And plays. that's why he's only played a chunk of these minutes, right? Yeah. And league-wide, teams do get more ISO heavy. They do grind it out a little bit. We'll see in the postseason that um, transition play decreases a little bit. All yeah. those things happen. None of that changes the fact, though, that the Raptors rank 28th in clutch offense of the season. Mm-hmm. It's... Like There's no way around it. Every team gets this way, but the Raptors do a worse version of it than anyone except San Antonio and Houston. Right. So I can stumble over my explanations as much as I want. It, what it really comes down to is a lot. Some teams will be built better to be more versatile offensively because you can run a Chris Paul DeAndre eight and pick and roll or kick it to KD or get Devin Booker an off ball action to get open, right? Like mm-hmm. those teams have options that the Raptors don't. But even the teams that don't have options to the level of the Raptors. Like Boston is a team, for example, that will get fairly one-on-one heavy late oh, yeah, in games. Yeah. Oh, they play one-on-one on all times. <laughs> yeah, and it's why like last year it was so eye-opening when Jalen Brown, who we love and we think is a really good player, and they're talking about a, like a potential supermax for him if he can sneak onto an all-NBA team and all this stuff. His ability to create one-on-one got pretty exposed in that Milwaukee series. Sure. Because yeah. he didn't have the handle and that ability to create that advantage himself. So that's something that, yeah, Boston runs into some of those same issues, but they're better at it than Toronto yeah. because Tatum is better at it than Siakam and Jalen Brown is a little better at it than whoever the next Raptor up might be. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston, by the way, uh, if you want to fade them in the playoffs, they're uh, 25th in, in the high leverage offense. So uh, they've got some nice warts see. there too. So um, even losing sh- repeatedly to the Knicks in, in, in overtime, even Chicago Tough. who have DeMar DeRozan, who is like, one of the, you know, love the mid-range or hate it, he's one of the most high-volume closers in basketball, even there, like, in the bottom third of the league in in crunch time offense, because if you only have one option or you have two or three options that are all about the same, you don't It's the old, um, you know, if you don't have a... If you have multiple number ones, you don't have a number one. Yeah. That's kind of what you run into here. If you don't have a way of building advantages you don't have a way of scoring in the in the clutch
0: Mm.
1: what would you be i mean i I guess the one alternative is that you just
0: give the ball to scotty and sort of re reoriented everything sort of around that i mean again to be clear this is not going to happen like tomorrow or or even maybe the rest of this season just because of the fact that they play their focus right now is very Mm day-to-day how do we beat indiana tomorrow you know what i mean like that's that's the focus more than anything else but maybe in terms of when you're thinking of the overall picture, it's like okay, if the main options aren't working as as well offensively, maybe you turn to the next best option, who does obviously create more in 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 spurts and sort of you know uh, sort of as a secondary option. But at the same time, he's done well enough where it's like maybe you look at promoting the secondary option to the first option.
1: Yeah, I, I'm at a place now where. I mean i I don't mean this to the extreme I'm saying it, but i I don't really care about these last couple games right like they okay. like in terms of results, they're not going to catch sixth, they're not gonna fall past tenth, they're in the plan, so the focus right. to me yes there's wait, a, wait, the focus is to get to seven or eighth, yes, really. to get, well seventh or ninth you you want that revenue okay <laughs> i'm I'm being facetious. Seventh would obviously be ideal because then you get two chances at it and they're both yeah, at home. Sure, sure. Um, eighth, you get two chances at it. Ninth, you only get one chance, but at least you're hosting. Mm. So I think, yeah, you want to avoid finishing 10th, and then you can you can decide whether two options or the the guaranteed home revenue is a better choice for um, between eight and nine. But I'm at a point where, you know, th- those standings are going to end how they end, and all of those teams are of roughly the same quality. I'm trying to figure stuff out that is if, – if I care about getting out of the play and getting in the playoffs, I'm – the biggest focus I have is trying to figure out how to win those close games. Yeah, and yeah, you can't sure. do it just with getting ahead seven or eight and then defending like hell and hoping, hoping you win those final minutes that, that's how zero we play, to though. five. That, that's, I know. That's actually how we play. And honestly, where this uh, comes up just as much as protecting a lead is yeah. they do these – fake comebacks that don't have to be fake comebacks, right? If they could if they could execute a little better in crunch time, they sure, would have sure. a couple more wins now because these games where they turned 15 point deficits into five point deficits wouldn't dry up once you get there, right? Like they yeah, these yeah. fake comebacks are real. You're playing good basketball and then things grind out because the other team locks in and you're calling timeouts and, and things like that. So that's kind of what I'm focused on this next little bit. And I think I think running a little bit more of it through Scotty is is I mean first of all it's fun it's uh it's uh it does give people room to dream you know yeah it's and like, like oh we lost but Scotty played well and it's not like they haven't been doing that he has the so again we're going back to the within two possessions final 6 minutes mm. since things turned bad closing out games in the new year scotty has the highest usage on the team okay all right so, if, you, if that's what you're calling for, he has a 25% usage rate in those situations, which is much higher than his regular season usage rate. Sure. Leads the team in points. Leads the team in uh, field goal attempts at the rim. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, maybe you'd like him to get the ball even more. Sure. But right now, he's the highest usage guy in, in crunch time. So, um, the, that... You can go two ways with that. You can be like, well, they're already doing that and it's and it's not very effective. Or you can be like, oh, scotty has got the highest usage. He's the only one playing well in the clutch and they still can't score in the clutch very well. Yeah. Like then you're talking about you've got a real problem, but I, I'm at a point where I would like to see a little bit more of that. If you're going to have Jakob Pertl on the floor, in those situations, I don't think you have a choice but to use him more, though. Whether it's screening for Fred because that action's been so effective, mm-hmm. or screening for Scotty Barnes just to try to manipulate the spacing a little bit. If Jakob's going to be on the floor and you're already risking the the a yak, you got to use him, right? Like, don't Sorry. don't go away from his strengths because you're worried about his his weaknesses. If that's the case, he should be doing offense, defense, then. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a good discussion on
0: on. Why the Raptors have struggled it's in crunch time? A little and, depressing, you know. though, right? It, it, I mean, it's not—it's not really depressing. I think for me, it's just like problem solving. Like we got to figure mm-hmm. out a new sort of way to get through it. Either we do it do it better right now in terms of maybe we run completely different plays. Like you know, again, this is a little bit too late in the season for that. But still, I think that you know there will be tons of practices between now and. Um, whenever they play in the play-in or if they get to the playoffs officially, like there will be more time to practice some of these things. And again, this is what games are going to come down to. It's, it's already part of the reason why the Raptors are in this position in the first place. Like and, in all these games I talked about where they, where they lost by double digits in the fourth quarter, and
1: they you, had leads. You didn't even go back to November where you mentioned the one January 2nd against the Pacers where this thing all kind of started, yeah, right? Yeah, they yeah. enter yep. the fourth quarter down one and they, and they end up, they, they were playing great that game. They led the whole way. And then they can't keep up yeah. with the Pacers down the stretch who don't want to win anymore, by the way. Uh, they had one in November where the Pacers outscored them by 22 in the fourth oh, quarter. I remember that one. Yeah. yeah but it's, to be fair, we were throwing Otto Porter and Thad Young at them. Sure, but it was like one of the worst games. I know nobody was healthy. Uh, that was the old man starter game. Yeah, no, no Pascal, no Fred.
0: Against these super young,
1: fast players. Yeah, and like Malachi played twenty three minutes that game, which uh, that was
0: when Malachi was cooking, man. Malachi, Malachi had like a stretch there for like a month where he was decent.
1: When Malachi was cooking is going to be like ten years from now. People will talk about when Malachi was cooking the same way we talk about the Andrea Bariani thirteen game streak, Damn. where You're he almost he was
0: a Mike James in April.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, Looter in the riot um, stuff.
0: Well, that was what that, that that that's what that Tampa season was that, that very last month. Um, still didn't get those numbers though that's fair. you're right. okay, well listen that, that's one of the bigger problems. The other bigger problem I think for me is sort of the backup point guard issue uh and we'll talk about that after the break. but uh, I've been your host Willu that's Blake Murphy. you're listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out BetRivers yet? Download the BetRivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about BetRivers sportsbook award-winning customer service. It's a whole new game with BetRiver's online casino and sportsbook. Must be 19+. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. The best Blue Jays show out
1: there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Raptor show on the sports radio network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou continue to be joined by Blake Murphy. And uh, yeah, so real quickly, I think the, we, we, covered obviously the crunch time issue, which is probably the biggest one on the team. Um, the, the second biggest issue is just backup point guard. I mean, I, I guess, look, it's no surprise. I mean, a year ago we were here talking about sort of what does this, this roster need? And we were talking about, we need a center and a third guard. They got that center. Yak has been great. We've talked about Yak every day on the show. And, you know, to be honest, I could talk about Yak every day on the show. Really, really love his presence on the team. Also, a pretty decent interview as well. Um, so, that, that's fixed. But I think that third guard issue continues to be a problem. Um, you know, I, and I just wanted to cover real quickly sort of the backup point guards since Fred was promoted from, uh, obviously, Kyle's reserve to, you know, co-starter and obviously now just a starting point guard. Okay. Um in 2020, our backup point guard options were Pat McCaw, DeAndre Bembry, and then Malachi Flynn at the very end. Uh, last year, it was Malachi, Delano Banton. And if you really want to consider Armani Brooks as a point guard, he wasn't really a point guard. He came in to shoot some threes. But, I mean, technically, he was the smallest guy out there a lot of the time, so I guess he would be the point guard. And then this year, we got Malachi, we got Delano, and now we have Will Barton uh, involved in the mix. And, and of course, Jeff Doughton as well. Um I think, to me, the clear thing is just there is no standout name. There's no one guy in that in that mix where it's like they need to be in a rotation or they should be in a rotation for a playoff uh, team. Um, but, yeah, is there any any deeper issue than that other than just the Raptors haven't had a guy on how, that level? How dare you leave out Goran Dragic? Goran was here for, like, one game. He or, played five games. Oh, he's like five games, right, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Okay, so I have a Remember few. Remember th- when we started Goran Dragic and lost to the Pistons? Yeah. That was weird. Yeah. Uh, he started two games. Oh yeah, he started the game, the the home opener too. Yeah.
0: yeah. And we lost Weird. by th- like 30 to Washington. <laughs> not not to say that it was all Goran Dragic's
1: fault. It was. Okay, yeah, it was. You're right. I'll say it. Yeah. Um, he's why the Bucks won't win the championship again this year too. He's injured again, and yeah, oh, um, we don't need to go back down that road. Okay, so I have a couple thoughts on why this has happened with the point guard thing. Okay. I think I think the foremost one is that the Raptors don't value that position. I think that's obvious, right? They haven't put. <laughs> Uh, A ton of assets like you just named a bunch of guys who were flyers either not point guards or in Malachi Flynn's case, the 29th pick, Um, even Delano Banton. They use a second round pick. Sure. He is a point guard, but he was like he wasn't expected to play his first year. He's a project point guard. And he's kind of this quirky, untraditional point guard. Mm -hmm. Pat McCaw, like. Only really a point guard because he wouldn't shoot the ball off the ball. Like when he came to Toronto, he wasn't a point guard. It wasn't until that 11 assists. I think it was Christmas Celtics game or, or the the rematch from the, the Celtics game on Christmas where he had like 11 assists out of nowhere. Oh, Pat McCaw. Yeah. He almost had a triple double in that game. Yeah. DeAndre Sometimes. Bembry, another guy who like is similar to Will Barton is like nothing about his game says he's a point guard other than he's a little bit shorter. He doesn't give you uh a ton of mistakes, but he also just like, yeah. it's not a, like he's a good passer, but not a point guard level. I, I passer. Didn't mind memory, actually. He's fine. He's just yeah, he, not he's a fine. point guard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's true. Uh, so you, you go through the history and they haven't invested a lot there. You also, so that's one, two is that even the investments that you spent like Malcolm, Flynn, like Delano Banton, there has either not been a clear plan for how to bring them along or that clear plan. wasn't willing enough to accept bumps in the road. And we talked at the start of this year, we talked all through last year, whether you like Malachi, whether you like Delano, whether you don't like either of them, at some point in time, you needed to give one or both of those guys a, a stretch of play to play through some mistakes and, and see if they can start to give you more consistent basketball, more mm-hmm. consistent opportunity. And yes, it's a meritocracy. If you come out and you have a handful of bad games in a row, even as a guy they invested a first round pick in, you're going to lose your spot. In it, With the exception of you know, that one stretch not that long ago this year, I I haven't felt that Malachi had really gotten that. Now he got it and he played well for a little bit and then played poorly after. Yeah. I think you can safely say at this point you gave Malachi a chance. I, I, yeah, not, I maybe not true. as yeah. big of one out of the gate as you would have liked. That Tampa tank season, I know that he got COVID and, and there was the weird G League protocols and stuff like yeah. that. Um, You really hoped you could have built like he also got to go to point guard school with Fred and Kyle that year. Where they were pulling right. him aside and doing video with him and
0: stuff. Oh, yeah. every question that year to, to Malachi was, What did you learn from Kyle and, and Fred today? <laughs>
1: yeah. So the ga- you, They're you didn't calling play... a Red Van Vliet. It, yeah. it was tough. So you didn't play well, but yeah. what, what did they tell you about how you played poorly after? Um, so I, I think, you know, over three years, <laughs> right. I, I would have, you know, ideally, you would have handled his development and his opportunities differently, but he's at least gotten a chance at this point. Delano got a good chance last year. And hasn't really helped himself in the G League by not playing particularly well when he's gone down to the 905. And and this isn't his fault, but not really being able to stay healthy. So, two, one, they haven't invested a lot. Two, there hasn't been a clear plan or one that they stuck to and were willing to go through the the bumps uh, with. But three, which is the big one, is that when you firmly believe that multiple of your forwards are pseudo point guards... Mm -hmm. And you build a roster around those guys being able to be the de facto point guard in bench lineups. Yeah. That's how this happens, right? Because if you sat Masai or Nick Nurse down and asked about this kind of stuff, the party line would be, well, Scotty's the backup point guard or yeah. Pascal's the backup point guard if that's how we're staggering the lineups th- those days. And then they would tell you, oh, we have a great backup point guard, Scotty Barnes or Pascal Siakam. Right. But in practicality, first of all, Fred's going to miss a dozen games most years, I think, is yeah, pretty safe. Fair. So you need someone to step up into that role. By the way, he and, looks healthier these days. Yeah, he looks yeah. great. No more back tape. Yeah, that's yeah. great. He's not wearing the championship belt that Kyle used to wear, <laughs> and he passed down to Fred of, like, I got to keep my back warm because if I if I cool down, I'm done for the night.
0: It's, yeah. It's tough, man. It's hard being a professional, professional athlete.
1: Fred's going to miss time, and yeah, yeah. it's one thing to say Scotty and Pascal or whoever can handle some bench point guard minutes, but – The reality is if Fred VanVleet misses games and you're not, you haven't developed or invested in a true backup point guard to take that spot. Well, then you're, you know, say Gary Trent comes into the starting lineup and Gary Mm -hmm. Trent is a really good player, but by no means a a playmaker for others. He's he's as shooting as shooting guard gets. Yes, exactly. So then you're looking at, okay, well, if Pascal or Scotty doesn't have the right matchup or you know, the point guard stuff just isn't working that day. And like Scotty Samson folk at Raptors Republic had a great breakdown of Scotty's passing the other week mm-hmm. where um, Scotty is so, so, so advanced, like better than everyone at all the difficult playmaking stuff. And the basic, like running a pick and roll and creating for a teammate is still in development, which he's a second year player. You absolutely expect it to still be in development. Um, he's not a pure point guard. Neither is Pascal. Pascal's a really good playmaker for a combo forward, but he's not a point guard. So um, the the kind of combination of these things, you you can understand it. Hey, we have all these forwards who are good playmakers and Fred who are going to play 50 minutes a game when he's healthy. Yeah. Why would we invest our limited resources in another point guard? But you see over the course of the last couple of years, that you should probably still have that. So that Will Barton or the like we should not you know how big a fan I am of the G League and of Jeff Doughton Jr. Mm-hmm. People should not be tweeting at me like, why isn't the two-way getting an opportunity at game 75 of the season when you're a team trying to be in the playoffs? Like Jeff Doughton's good and he could help this team right now in the rotation. You should not be in a situation roster-wise where people are calling for the two-way guy from a non-playoff G League team to help your team make the playoffs, right? Like that's, yeah. that's a roster construction failure or, a, a you know, you swung and missed on the guy's failure. One final thing on this is that I think the why underlying all this is that, yes, they obviously hit on Fred as an undrafted free agent. I think that they see, and this is similar to the center position, why they haven't, why they've been like, we'll play small then mm-hmm. uh, if a center, if an obvious center isn't there or, you know, an Aaron Baines type doesn't work out or whatever. I think they see the upside in guys like Pascal and OG and Precious and Scotty. As if they hit, if they develop properly, those guys are so much more valuable yeah, than a guy. Sure. Like, if Malachi Flynn had hit developmentally and he's a solid backup point guard. He would change so much. Like, you actually would have a lot more balance in your group. You would. Yeah. And, and on this, this team, the way it's constructed, absolutely. But on a player-for-player player basis, yeah. like, precious clicking and turning into what they think precious could potentially be, way bigger needle mover than a backup point guard. Yeah, and, for and Precious sure, is a for poor sure. example because I think a lot of people are down on Precious right now, including Nick Nurse. Um, but I think that's their thinking, is that these multi, these larger, multi-tooled, multi-position, multi-role guys have such significantly higher upside if they hit that they would rather invest the resources there right. until, until they have to make a move. And they had to make a move on Jakob at center. I would imagine after the last three years, like, they they got to do something with that spot uh, this offseason with the backup point guard spot. I don't right. think you can – Malachi's under contract for next year. Delano's not. He's a restricted free agent. Jeff Doughton's a restricted free agent and is not like – he's like a high floor prospect, not a high ceiling prospect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you you got to address that possess- position finally like you did with the center position.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a good uh, summary of sort of what's going on with the, the Raptors third point guard position. Well, by the way, I mean, it's not like they haven't – tried to address this issue like we, we did see the, the rumors i mean malcolm brogdon even was like yeah you know i have the choice between going to toronto and boston and i was like let's go to boston and while the boston's one of those teams where i'm like damn they really bring malcolm brogdon and Derek white off the bench when yeah. everyone's healthy like that's just such quality guard depth um and and by the way those are all guys that they got recently but um we have we have five more minutes on this but i thought you brought a really great piece uh on oj and noby you know blake you still write yeah. once in a while yeah never mind. honestly and- once you get to the radio side it's just like it's so much easier to talk than right it's also just hard to find time. This time. You're right. I do yeah. a, lot of, You're right. a
1: lot of stuff.
0: Okay. All right. Fair. All right. I could probably find more time to write 10 things. I've even been slacking on those. But, yeah, you wrote a great piece about OJ and OB. Uh, You wrote about, obviously, um, just the fact that he's playing better. Obviously, the fact that his defense is truly, you know, uh, otherworldly. And you also wrote about how upcoming changes to the collective bargaining agreement can help the Raptors retain OJ and OB. Because as of right now, um, under the current rules, it would be a little bit difficult to reach an extension with him. Um, I have two questions. Number one, other than OG, can you name me players off the top of your head that can really truly guard all five positions? And does and and does it on a consistent basis?
1: Probably the I mean, next...
0: actually, Oddly enough, Scotty is one of those guys. Scotty is yeah. one
1: of them, um, and, and obviously it makes sense. You've got to have multiple of those. If OG is going to switch around everywhere, someone else has yes. to be changing yes. roles too, right? Um, Dorian Finney-Smith is one that, okay. that comes up in some of the, the kind of versatility metrics I, I tried to mess around with, and, and you do when you watch the game. You see him kind of guard all over the floor. And then um, this is more of a one-to-four in the in one case and two to five in the other case. But Jimmy Butler and Eric Gordon, I think, are, are probably the two yeah, guys that yeah. you see it from at least. And maybe this is just I've watched a lot of Nuggets basketball lately, but Aaron Gordon guards oh, yeah, he's amazing, whoever yeah. the best player on the other team is, regardless of position, right. because they do not have good defenders on that team. And Jimmy Butler just kind of like, I think, probably says, Eric Spolstra, I'm guarding whoever I want. And if today's the day where I want to guard the best player on the other team, I'll do yeah. that. Uh, if today's a day he can't guard centers there because Kyle guards centers, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, so Jimmy, Aaron Gordon, Dorian Finney-Smith Go are probably the three. And then you, you saw it more from Mikhail Bridges and Phoenix, less so since he got to Brooklyn because they've got so many long wing defenders. He's carrying a larger offensive role, but it's it's a pretty limited group. Yeah, I would. Put, the only other person I would put in that group is
0: Kawhi. Mm -hmm. um you do see it more often especially when they go small ball and stuff like that i mean Mm -hmm. then again everyone kind of plays a bit of center and and i think the other aspect is so okay we're talking about a select list like we can't even go 10 deep really in terms of players who can guard all all five positions so what would you have to pay for a guy like og who also by the way when healthy is obviously a very good three-point shooter as well mostly catch and shoot but still that's very important um what would he typically get? And also sort of how can CBA changes help the Raptors get to that number?
1: Yeah, the the how much would he get is a tough one because there aren't a lot of guys like him to compare him to. Sure. And okay. you know, Dorian Finney Smith signed what probably was a below yeah, market deal. Also, he's not the offensive player that OG is. He's he, like OG's better in transition, he's a better catch and shoot guy. Um, Jeremy Grant is an interesting one where Jeremy Grant yeah. can create for himself offensively. And is less than OG defensively, but role-wise, they do play similar-ish roles. Um there just really aren't good comps, especially like like Josh Hart, that that deal instantly looked like a huge bargain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yeah. if if you're the Raptors, you could point to Josh Hart and Dorian Finney Smith and Aaron Gordon. Who all make roughly what OG makes now, and say, "Look, this; these are the guys that are like you." And I have, then, a, I have a feeling that's not how that conversation is going to nah, go. OG's or how it's camp be will received. come back and be like, first of all, clutch. Uh, second of all, uh, <laughs> you, we have two of your unrestricted free agents right now. Do you really want to mess around?" And third, like OG is younger and a better three-point shooter and a better defender than right, those right. guys. Um, the Mikael Bridges four years, eighty plus, is actually an interesting one. Now that Mikhail Bridges has shown his offense can scale a that, little that bit more like than a real OG's steal. could. Um, um, and, and that four years, 80 million is the caps going up significantly. So, so if that's your comp ratchet that up for the cap <laughs> increase, yeah. anyway, I know we're running out of time, but quickly, the reason that the cap changes could help the Raptors retain OG right now, the CBA limits uh, extensions to a 20% raise that could go up as high as 40 or 50%. Mm. Not saying OG gets a 50% raise, but before your range of outcomes to de- negotiate within was this, and now it could be this, right? There are just more possibilities now. And, uh, and I, I also, I haven't got word yet. I don't think they're going to change much to the extended trade rules, so it'd be even more beneficial to, for a guy to stay.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it will definitely help. And of course, right now with OG playing, I mean, I just can't imagine um, the Raptors moving on from, from that, even in, you know if they do other moves. But anyway, uh, to wrap up the show, we are... Going to uh, Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. So the Raptors are taking on the Indiana Pacers tomorrow at home. We know the Raptors are obviously much more successful at home than they are on the road uh, this season. However, the Raptors have lost twice to Indiana already this year. Uh, one, I'm going to throw out the window because they were super banged up. The second one, the Raptors actually played really well. Um, this is obviously before Yahoo was, was here. But, of course, the dreaded fourth quarter woes um, popped its head up and the Raptors lost that fourth quarter. I think to me, the biggest thing is just Indiana has a ton of guards, right? And you're always, it's always an interesting matchup seeing these two teams because the Raptors typically were that all Fords team versus the all guards team. Now they have Jakob Perto in the mix as well. Um, I do wonder sort of how he's going to fare defensively having to be spaced out that far. But um, yeah, Blake, real quickly, how do you see this matchup going?
1: It's a tough one, too, because you mentioned the all guards, but they're all big guards. George Hill's the only one of those guys I think that's smaller than 6'5. Oh, TJ McConnell. Yeah. TJ McConnell triple double. <laughs> Coming for sure. Oh, but Do they have George Hill again? Yeah, they. Well, he, yeah, they have George Hill again. How many times is George Hill going? Oh, okay, all right. but like all right. Buddy Heald six five. Tyrese has good size. Nembard has good size. Okay. Mathurin has good size. Like, yeah. it's it's not a bunch of time. It's not Princeton against or um, Fairleigh Dickinson against Purdue. Yeah, yeah it's not okay, a bunch fair. of little guys climbing the big guys. These are these are guards with size too. Um, and, and what that should mean is you have. A little bit of trouble forcing the turnovers that you need to eat but indiana's a really young team that isn't super keen on winning right now so i think you can safely take the raptors yeah okay. I, you better
0: I, I hey listen you're right we better and that's how we we're gonna bet so that that was between the lines brought to you by bet reverts i meant it's a whole like, new they game. better win no <laughs> no no trust me that's how i'm approaching these games too but anyway that does it for us today i've been your host will Lou, and you've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportside radio network thanks once again to blake murphy our board producer derek vendell and jennifer only for helping on the youtube and we will help. We'll talk to you tomorrow.